welcome to the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. Florida Gators football fans might need plenty of patience and understanding in 2023. Coming off a 6-7 and seven season where they got blown out in the Las Vegas Bowl, the Gators will have a new starter quarterback and very few returning skill players. While Billy Napier is optimistic about his redshirt senior transfer quarterback Graham Mertz, as well as Jack Miller and Max Brown, the Gators are still trying to tab a QB who can compete at the high level of the SEC. With the Orange and Blue game coming up Thursday, April 13th, fans will get a chance to see what the Gators' second-year coach has been putting together through spring practices and scrimmages. Today, Gainesville Sun Gators reporter Kevin Brockway will join us to tell us what he's been seeing as he's been heading out to campus and checking out the team. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida Network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper and, of course, this podcast to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. Believe it or not, we're less than five months from the Florida Gators' season opener in Salt Lake City against Utah. As the Gators continue to build toward the 2023 season, I welcome in Gainesville Suns' Kevin Brockway to fill us in on all things happening with the Gators. Kevin, welcome back to the podcast. Tim, it's always great to be here and uh, just took a little little break from mini break from spring football for my birthday, but uh, it's good to be back at it. And uh, it's been a uh, a pretty busy spring with uh, kind of the basketball football overlap, but uh, we'll uh, we'll have the spring game in a few weeks. Should be interesting. Well, there you go. Happy birthday. Uh, 27 again, I imagine. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it's, uh, you know, I, you know, a friend of mine, a former editor said getting older stinks, but it beats the alternative, you know? <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Well, all right, well, let's jump in with some football here because that's what on, is on everybody's mind. And of course, the biggest question being you've got Anthony Richardson bolting for the NFL. Some maybe think prematurely they would have liked to see him have one more year in a Florida Gators uniform, but it is what it is. So, you know, you've got Graham Mertz who transfers in from Wisconsin. You've got Jack Miller who was there last year. You've got Max Brown. Tell us about the quarterback position. How are things going there as we head toward the orange and blue game here in a few days yeah well you know i would say that uh really it's going to come down to mertz and miller i mean those are the two more experienced options and max brown who is uh you know kind of uh shifting a little bit between baseball and football but his main concentration is football and i i think they think that max has a bright future but for the present uh it really looks like uh, it's going to come down to graham and jack and i think both have had probably good days and bad days and i think the spring game will be telling we got a chance to meet Graham and Graham is certainly a very affable media friendly guy. You know, he's a guy that, uh, he likes to play a little golf. Um, seems like he's really good with his teammates. Uh, a lot of the players have said that, uh, he's a hard worker. One of the first guys to get in the building, one of the last guys to get out. And, uh, Billy Napier compared getting Mertz to, uh, getting an NFL free agent quarterback in terms of his experience, the 32 starts. So I think Graham's experience may end up winning out in this battle, but, I think we'll see what happens in the spring. I mean, I think both have both have had their moments uh, in camp where they've made good throws. 
Yeah, he's 22 years old, so he's definitely, you know, uh, for college terms, an elder statesman. So, uh, and, and when I saw Billy Napier, he was down in my neck of the woods. He held his first Gator gathering here in Vieira, and he was speaking really highly of Graham and, uh, of course, talking to the Gator boosters and, and trying to sell them on what the program's doing. So, you know, let, let's talk about those spring practices and scrimmages and everything you've been watching. You know, how has the team looked? Because this is going to be a different look team from even just last year. So, you know, maybe who's stood out and what have you been seeing out there on the field? You know, I think the team is a little more co- cohesive in year two, and that's to be expected with a new coaching staff and I think that's one of the things that Billy Napier has been talking about, how, uh, you know, you're not having to repeat things as much. So I think that they're hoping that that is going to be the case. Um, you know, they they did lose some talent. It's going to be pretty interesting because when, when you look at the first round of the NFL draft, I mean, Osiris Torrance, Anthony Richardson are probably going to be first round picks. Jervon Dexter could go in the second round. Um, so there's going to be some holes to be replaced from a talent perspective. But I think they're hoping that, the cohesion and the fact that uh, they've got a lot of guys that uh, have played a year in the system is going to win out and kind of carry the day and make for better, crisper, cleaner football. And that that's really kind of what they're preaching is, uh, is that, and that being said, um, you know, I do think, uh, you know, a guy like Shamar James on defense has been very impressive uh, so far in camp. Uh, and uh, as far as, uh, you know, offensively, I think that, uh, you know, it's that Ricky Pearsall, you know, certainly looks like a guy that uh, is, uh, you know, continuing to uh, to be a leader there in, in, in that group, a wide receiver group. And is going to be a guy that's really going to be counted on uh, this spring, you know, go, going into the uh, 2020 season. Well, of course, one of the focal points, too, is going to be the running back there, Trevor Etienne, the brother of Travis, who's on the Jacksonville Jaguars and who won a national title at Clemson with the other Trevor, Trevor Lawrence. But, you know, his uh, his what non-contact jersey, I believe, came off a couple of days ago. Is that correct? Just tell us a little bit about Trevor Etienne, where his place is. I mean, is he going to be a bell cow? Are they going to try and use multiple running backs so they don't overuse him? You know, what's the plan there? Yeah, I think that you're going to still see Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne split carries because I think they like the physical element that Montreal brings. But that being said, you know Trevor Etienne is a playmaker and uh, he's electric and he's a guy that if you get him into space with his speed, he can really create things. So they're going to find ways to use Trevor and to use Montreal. It's really interesting. When you look back at last year, it was really a three running back rotation with Naquan Wright. And then Naquan eventually kind of got phased out of the offense and it came down to really... Uh, Trevor and Montrell, but I think that they like that one-two punch because of the fact that they they bring different things and it, it keeps them kind of stretch. Another guy that's been interesting in camp is the Tulane transfer, uh, Cam Carroll. He's a guy who uh, looks like he can catch the ball out of the backfield a little bit, which is an element of the offense that was missing last year, I felt, um, in terms of a guy that could, uh, a receiving running back. And uh, if he could do some things and maybe even, you know, line up in the slot a little bit, that would add something to the offense. And he's an experienced guy who certainly played in a high power offense under Willie Fritz. Uh, so he's got some potential too. So I wouldn't necessarily sleep on him either. He could be a guy that could be a, a third down back and used in some packages as well. Yeah, Montrell Johnson, he was one of those guys that came over from Louisiana with Napier. And I read a story you did a couple of weeks ago or a week or two ago on him just about his preparation for the season. So, you know, talk a little bit about the story you did and, and what you're seeing from Montrell. Yeah, you know, the thing about Montrell is it's kind of funny. We asked him to grade himself and he gave himself a C plus and a B minus. And I think we were a little surprised by that. And he basically said, hey, look, you know, I'm always striving to improve and striving to get better. 
And he talked a lot about receiving and, and pass protection and being a more complete running back, which uh, certainly is going to be needed in this offense. And it's needed in the SEC, really. You know, you need to have as many weapons out in the field as possible uh, doing multiple things because, you know, these the defenses in this league are just so tough and so stout, obviously led by what Kirby Smart's doing at Georgia. But uh, you definitely need guys that can, uh, you know, uh, you know, be as complete as possible. And, and pass protection, too, is so critical because of the fact that uh, you've got so many great pass rushers in the SEC. Yeah, and again, a reminder to the people listening, if you want to read all of Kevin's work, go to Gainesville.com or go to Gatorsports.com, and you can read up on all of those stories that he does. So, Kevin, you know, Florida has already had some key injuries, unfortunately, most notably tight end Keon Zipperer, who I think people were expecting great things out of him. That's a shame. Offensive lineman Micah Mezcua, you know, are they out for the upcoming season? Has anyone else been injured this spring? Talk about what the Gators have been dealing with from that aspect. Yeah, you know, Keon looks like he's going to be done for the season. Um, you know, he uh, he had a surgery, and uh, some reports say it's a torn ACL. That hasn't necessarily been confirmed, but it was a major knee injury, and uh, so it looks like he's he's probably going to be gone for the year. And he could he could probably apply for a medical redshirt and come back in 2024. Um, Mizuka, they're hoping to get him back in fall camp, uh, and uh, if you know. He, he created a little drama. He tweeted he was going to go on the transfer portal, and then he took down the tweet the day later. And I think he was kind of confused and a little frustrated with the injury. Um, that's going to hurt, though, because they were counting on him to be a really good run blocker. So they're going to you know, hope to get him back. I mean, Pro Football Focus uh, graded Mazuka as, as one of the 10 top offensive linemen in the transfer portal. I mean, they were really counting on him. And earlier in spring practice, all the uh, – Players were talking about how he had a little bit of a mean streak to him, like he was this really tough guy, uh, bare knuckle brawler, they referred to him as and so forth. And I think he could have added that element to the offensive line this spring, but we're not going to get a chance to see that. But, you know, fingers crossed, apparently it's a shoulder issue. They're hoping it could get cleaned up and he could be ready uh, by the fall. And uh, right now they're playing a, a true freshman, Nigeria Harris, uh, at left guard and Christian Williams, I'm in there, too. Um, so those are, you know, that's definitely a spot at left guard where they're going to need, uh, you know, him back and his, his veteran leadership and presence. Yeah. You know, I was just talking about this a couple of weeks ago with our Jaguars beat reporter, but offensive linemen, you know, because the Jaguars, they, they lose Juwan Taylor, a former Gator who went to the Kansas city chiefs offensive linemen are the people no one notices until they're gone. So when you lose a guy like that, you know, it is just, it, it can be a big blow and fans, you know, they always key in on, on the uh, star positions, but boy, you know, like you say, when, when a quarterback or a running back doesn't get the appropriate blocking and you lose a guy who's a starter, that is really tough. So, uh, you know, unfortunate there, and hopefully he'll be able to return because, uh, you know, we, we do got uh, almost five months till the season opener, so hopefully he'll be able to heal up. And, you know, speaking of uh, this team, that some of the things we're looking at, you know, I mentioned Anthony Richardson leaving earlier. You know, a couple of weeks ago at the NFL Combine, he made a comment, something to the effect of he can't catch the passes too. Now, you and I both watched Florida football closely last year, and Superman couldn't have caught some of the passes he was throwing out there. So, you know, uh, talk about this receiving core who kind of, you know, took a stray bullet from Anthony there. And, uh, you know, who's going to stand out? You've already mentioned Pearsall. And, and uh, you know, who should we be looking for at that position this year? You know, a guy that's been really impressive um, so far in camp uh, with his uh, route running, his ability to catch the ball, his speed is um, Andy Jean is a guy that I really like from Miami Northwestern uh, has really come in and, and, and done a really good job there. 
So, I mean, he's a guy who can play right away as a true freshman. And, and Ada Mizell, too, has shown some flashes also uh, and is getting a lot of reps there. Caleb Douglas, I think, is a guy who uh, also, you know, showed played last year as a true freshman, uh, showed some things, uh, you know, certainly, and, and is, is someone that's going to, you know, probably get, you know, a, a little bit more of an opportunity. You have Xavier Henderson back, another starter who was uh, kind of up and down and a little beat up at the end of the year. And, and Xavier also will help out on special teams in terms of, you know, punt returns and, and so forth. And, um, but he's another guy who needs to be more consistent. You know, I'm still seeing, you know, some drops out there from time to time. Ty Bowman could be a guy in the slot that will help out, but I think Pearshall will be the main guy there. Um, and, uh, you know, that, you know, what, what I, I think it was a good move bringing back Billy Gonzalez, though, because uh, he does have a track record in terms of, you know, developing guys. Uh, certainly, you know, he knows Florida. He's been here before. Coach Percy Harvin, he coached uh, Kadarius Tony, two guys in the NFL, Lewis Murphy, the list goes on. So, so Billy G has got a little bit of a proven track record, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can develop uh, some of these guys into uh, being more consistent uh, at the receiver position. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think we've done a pretty good job here breaking down the offense. So so let's turn around and look at the other side of the ball, and that's defense. And, you know, for about two decades, Florida was known, you know, for its great defenses. But the last few years, it's one place where they've really struggled is, you know, stopping the opposing teams. And last year really was no different in a six and seven season. So talk about this defense uh, who's returning that, you know, is going to be maybe a focal point there or, or a difference maker. And uh, how is Billy Napier doing in rebuilding this Florida defense so it can get back to one of those places where you have several players, uh, you know, showing up in the first round of the NFL draft again? Well, you know, I think it begins with, uh, you know, obviously uh, the uh, offseason uh, change with uh, Patrick Tony leaving for, uh, you know, certainly the Arizona Cardinals and you bring in Austin Armstrong, Young guy, uh, 29 years old, uh, but we met him too. Another guy, very personable guy. Um, and uh, they say the scheme is not going to be that much different, but Austin Armstrong's track record shows you that, at least at Southern Miss, he was very good on third down, which was an area of weakness last year. And uh, sacks, bringing more pressure, which Florida was was didn't have enough of those game-changing plays last year. I think they were 10th in the SEC in sacks. So, if, if you can focus on those areas of improvement, I mean, I think that will be a uh, pretty big and, uh, you know, uh, another interesting move is Corey Raymond coaching the whole secondary uh, as opposed to uh, last year when Patrick Tony was co- coaching the safeties. And uh, there is hope there that, that uh, the defensive backs will be more connected as a, as a result. Uh, but Jason Marshall Jr. has had a good, good camp. He's uh, you know, two year, re- you know, returning starter at, at defense at cornerback. He's going to be their main cover corner there. Um, and then you're going to have two new safeties and Miguel Mitchell and Kamari Wilson uh, as well. Um, they moved Jacrevian. Uh, they moved uh, also uh, some players around uh, in, in the defensive back. Jaden Hill is now playing the star position with Shadarius Perkins, uh, which will be uh, which will be pretty interesting. And that opens up the other corner spot where you've got uh, Jalen Kimber and, and Devin Moore battling out, along with a true freshman, Jakeem J- Jackson. Who has uh, who has played pretty well and, and could see the season a, a four star out of Kissimmee, who uh, who they really like and Shamar James is going to lead the linebackers. Uh, Derek Wingo is hurt. He maybe that's another injury situation where he may be back uh, in the fall, but uh, he was uh, he was banged up with some you know shoulder and other body injuries uh, that was kind of culminated in the Vegas Bowl when he left the Vegas Bowl 
uh, there, and you've got Scooby Williams there on the inside. And then a defensive line up front. I mean, uh, certainly with the loss of uh, Jervon Dexter, uh, certainly you've, you've got Princely uh, Uman Melian now, who's uh, at the edge, uh, you know, with Austin Power Island and uh, big Des Watson inside, obviously he's back. Um, and they're hoping, uh, you know, he can build off his first full season as starter. So Justice Boone is another guy, Tyreek Sapp, you've got them back. So um, I think they're hopeful that this defense will kind of mesh and grow together and, and really create more big plays. You know, they weren't actually a bad turnover defense last year, but in terms of creating more sacks and more negative plays, uh, I think that's an area where they can certainly show a lot of improvement and getting off the field on third down, uh, which was a which was a big issue last year. And uh, maybe with Corey Raymond coaching the secondary too, um, you'll see the cornerbacks creep up a little bit and uh, not provide as much help to the safeties as they did last year. Yeah, you know, obviously the dream is to eventually stack up against Georgia, but I think they'll still be the class of the SEC East, if not the whole SEC. But where do you see Florida's defense stacking up this year when you look at the East, you know, the other teams, South Carolina, Kentucky, Missouri, and, and everybody that Vanderbilt that they'll be standing up against? Well, you know, you know that you want the improvement. I mean, Tennessee's a pretty weak team defensively. They were last year because um, certainly that game was a shootout, but um You'd like to move up a little bit. I think South Carolina was another team that, uh, you know, had moments where they gave up a lot of points. But um, Kentucky's a tough defensive team. I think Vanderbilt uh, under Clark Lee uh, was a better defensive team than than they were given credit for. And, and they improved during the end of the year. And, and their defensive performance against Florida in that game last year where they beat them in Nashville really kind of carried the day uh, in that game. They shut down the running game. Uh, Florida's running game very well in that game, but uh, I think they'll be somewhere in the middle of the pack, and you would hope that uh, they would show improvement here in year two. But uh, to do that, it's going to take, uh, like I said, you know, uh, some guys making plays, and and we'll see what Austin Armstrong can dial up. You know, who knows? Maybe he might uh, turn out to be a little better than Patrick Tony in that regard. But uh, the proof will be in the fall for sure. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I'm listing off the teams in Tennessee being the one I left out. I'm glad you the let off with them. Uh, Maybe I have a little mental block when it comes to Tennessee there. Uh, uh, so, you know, let's look at the orange and blue game here now. Uh, for the second year in a row, this is going to be held on a Thursday, you know, getting them at that national stage in front of everybody. So, you know, talk about the Thursday game, the advantages. Do you like it? Do you look forward to it? And uh, what are we expecting this year? Well, the big advantage is recruiting, right? Because, you know, I think a bunch of teams – have their game on Saturday that week. So you can't play, you know, you can't clone these kids. You can't have them in two places at once. So by having it on a Thursday night, you invite uh, a lot more recruits, a lot more high level recruits that might've decided hey, not to go to the Florida game, to go to the Georgia game on that Saturday, to go to the LSU game. Um, so I think that's the thinking there is to uh, be able to uh, have your own stage, not just for television, but to get the recruits to come in and visit and see the atmosphere. So I think it's a very smart move by Napier and his staff to do that. Some of the fans aren't happy about it, but, you know, they'll be happy if they get better players down the road and uh, win some games. So I think that that's, that's priority number one, right, is to uh, create a stage where you can get, you know, the best players there and then convince them to come. Yeah, certainly. And look forward to the orange and blue game every year. But, 
you know, with Billy Napier, what is he exactly looking to accomplish with the spring game? I mean, I know you're getting the players out there, a little bit of contact and all of that, but, you know, they're probably not going to open up the playbook too much or, or show too much as we head into summer break. So just talk about, you know, the things that, that you'll be looking for that Billy Napier will be doing uh, during this game. Well, I think it'll be a big evaluation period, right? Starting with the quarterbacks and starting with uh, some of the other position battles uh, on defense. I think it'll give him a chance to see uh, how these players respond in a game setting. So I think I think that's that's really one of the main goals. I think for for a lot of teams throughout the spring is to hey let, let's see how these guys handle that situation. But you're right. I don't think they're going to open too much of the playbook. I think they're going to you know keep it kind of vanilla. Um, but at the same time, they want to see toughness and this is going to be a pretty young team this year. Um, and, uh, they want to see how these guys are going to respond to those, uh, adverse situations, uh, as they come during the course of the game. Yeah. You know, I, I really don't envy the, the tall task Billy Napier has ahead. I mean, when you look back at, you know, for instance, when Steve Spurrier was hired, he was taking a program over under investigation that had never even won a conference title. You know, when when uh, Urban Meyer took over, Ron Zook had kind of he had recruited great players, but they certainly didn't perform well. But Billy Napier comes in and, and nowadays everybody wants things instantly. Gator fans want it right away. And they're going to have to be patient here because the transfer portal changes everything. You know, players leaving for the NFL earlier changes everything. So what's a realistic expectation for this team? Because I know Gator fans want the Gators to go 11-1 and every year and, you know, try and buy for a national title. But, you know, what, what really should Billy be shooting for? Is it eight wins, nine wins, a bowl win? Like, where do you stand on that? Well, don't forget, too, if you look at the way the schedule sets up this year, I think it's probably tougher than last year because you go to Utah, you go to Kentucky, you go to South Carolina. I mean, uh, you you do get you go to Missouri in a cold weather game in November where last year they went to, you know, Nashville in a cold weather game and they struggled there. So um, it's not going to be uh, it's, it's not going to be easy. By the way, he said it's probably going to get worse in 2024 when Texas and Oklahoma join the league. But that's another story as well. But uh I think for this year, you know, I think they'd be thrilled with eight or nine wins. Uh, I think that would uh, certainly show progress, that would show growth, and that would show that the program is headed in a certain direction. And that's, uh, I think that's that's what they want to accomplish. And and that would be, uh, you know, uh, you know, you're always striving for more. And and football's a momentum game too. I mean, if you get off to a good start in September, you know, maybe it carries over. Um, but um, I, I think eight or nine wins. Uh, they'd be thrilled. I mean, they do get Arkansas in the swamp uh, as one of the crossover games. That's certainly a winnable game in November. But um, I think there are a lot of potholes on that schedule, too, that are going to make it very difficult uh, for a team that's uh, continuing to grow in, in year two to be able to, uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, get to uh, get to a bowl game again and, and post a winning record. Yeah, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Georgia, they'll they'll certainly be favored in the SEC East. Uh, do you think Florida can climb into that two spot or does Tennessee have that locked up? Can they climb into three or will Kentucky get the best of them again? I think Mike Stoops is one of the most underrated coaches in the country for what he's done at Kentucky. So, you know, uh, how do you see the, the division shaking out? Yeah. And don't forget Mike Stoops. Stoops is that time to build it, right? I mean, Josh Heupel has had a little more instant success. I mean, it's taken a couple of years for him. Um, you know, certainly he had the big turn in year two last year. And I think Florida fans are hoping that that's the same. 
you know, you get Tennessee at home this year and, uh, you know, no Hendon Hooker. So I think as a Florida fan, maybe you're hopeful that you can uh, somehow pull that game out. But uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that transpires. Um, and, and certainly Kentucky played them on the road in late September also. Uh, you know, Will Levis is gone, but now you've got to transfer Devin Leary. So who from North Carolina State, who's a proven guy, much the same way as, you know, Mertz is a somewhat proven guy from Wisconsin if he wins the job. So you'll have two transfer quarterbacks going at it. In that case, if, if Mertz does win the job, or even if Jack Miller wins a job, you'll have a, a transfer quarterback from Ohio State. But um, I think, you know, those those will be very telling games in September, the Tennessee game and the Kentucky game as to how the season goes and where they play. And, and then you get South Carolina on the road, too, and they've got uh, Rattler coming back for another year. And um, the, that was another fascinating thing, too, about last season, about when Florida beat South Carolina, and, and they beat them pretty soundly you know, in their last game in the swamp, 38 to six, you're kind of thinking, okay, well, you know, Florida's going to carry this momentum, get to seven or eight wins. Um, and South Carolina, you thought was dead in the water and South Carolina goes and they beat, uh, you know, Tennessee and Clemson back to back to get to the Gator Bowl and Florida goes to the Las Vegas Bowl. So um, that we, you know, Florida loses the back to back games to Vanderbilt and uh, uh, certainly Florida State. So, um, it, it's interesting how, you know, fickle it is and how things can turn, but South Carolina is going to be another team that's going to be pretty tough in that division, I think, too, under Shane Beamer. So no more gimmies in the East Division, and um, considering that uh, this will probably be the last year of the East Division, uh, you'd like to see Florida climb up uh, maybe to that two and three spot if they get a few breaks. Yeah, we'll talk about the additions here in a second. But that first game in Utah, you know, last year Utah comes in, they're number seven. It's a million degrees in the swamp. You've got players throwing up on the sideline. Florida's got to now go to their territory where it's really beautiful in Utah. You know, their average temperature in September is 80 high and 60-ish low. So, you know, uh, the weather won't be a factor there. And and so things are obviously going to be a lot more equal. So, you know, again, five months out. You know, that Utah game, how, uh, I guess, how big is that, that Florida would have to go in there and maybe win again, you know, just to start off the season on the right foot? Because if not, people are really going to be, you know, squirrely heading into that SEC schedule that you just mentioned. Well, you know, what's interesting is like Utah had to deal with the uh, humidity. Well, here's where Florida has to deal with going to Salt Lake City, the altitude, 42, 26 feet, right? Uh, something a little different than playing in flat land, you know, that's going to be interesting too. That's a, a different kind of endurance test, I think as well. And uh, the game's going to be on Thursday night also, which is uh, a little different August 31st. Uh, it'll be Thursday night lights, um, national stage for both teams, uh, but Cam rising coming back. Uh, certainly, you know, Utah's going to have the experienced quarterback two time defending PAC 12 champions. So it's going to be a, Going to be a tough game, tough atmosphere there. I was, I've been to Rice Eccles. Uh, I was there in 2004 when I did a story on Urban Meyer. It's a good atmosphere up there, and um, I think the fans are going to be uh, pretty fired up. And it'll be a, a, a you know tremendous early test for Florida just to see where they are and what kind of season they're going to have. And if they could somehow you know pull off an upset there and, and win that game, that'd be uh, I think really big for their momentum. Uh, going into the month of September with some of the uh, SEC games they're going to have to play. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, now we can talk about the the following year, you know, after 2023, you get Oklahoma and Texas coming into the SEC. And, you know, I'm sure it worries all Gator fans and alums. So can the Gator Collective, you know, 
collect enough NIL money and players for the Gators to be able to compete? Or, you know, is Gainesville in for an extended dry period that, that could last a lot longer than people want to admit? Yeah, and I think with NIL, it's uh, it's you know a fascinating topic, and we're seeing you know is Congress going to get involved? Are they not going to get involved? Are there going to be guardrails in place? I think Florida's culture has always been a culture of you know right compliance and doing things the right way, and now you're in a situation where uh, you know money is being thrown around left and right, and um, you know it's it's going to take an effort of uh, a lot of the boosters to kind of uh, adapt and, and change with the times, I think, and realize that, uh, you know, perhaps unless there's congressional, uh, you know, uh, intervention, that this is going to be the way of doing business. And um, it, uh, you know, certainly, you know, you're in a, you're the flagship university in a state uh, that certainly has a lot of resources, right. And um, certainly uh, the university of Florida alumni base within the state you know, in terms of banking and agriculture and so forth, you have so many, uh, you know, certainly uh, revenue streams that could be produced from it. Um, so it's going to take, I think, you know, that aspect of it to come together and, and be mobilized. And, and the state law, obviously, you know, has changed and the schools can be a little more involved now as a result of that. Um, so that's going to be interesting, too. I think that's going to lead to better communication and better organization. Of course, it still cannot be used as a recruiting inducement, right? But uh you know, we're, we're, we're seeing those rules kind of skirted left and right or that, you know, uh, certainly, uh, you know, teams finding loopholes. But uh, I do think that uh, Florida certainly is that's going to be a huge aspect going forward in terms of, uh, you know, recruiting is to, uh, you know, certainly educate these players on uh, what's possible in the NIL marketplace for uh, for them and, and, you know, building their brands. Yeah. And, you know, as I mentioned, Billy Napier was down here to start as Gator uh, gathering tour where he speaks to alumnus and uh, other people who are Gator fans. And, you know, I, I, one of the questions I asked him was about NIL. And uh, I just want to play that sound here so people can hear what he said. Yeah, no, there's no question. Um, I think it's just added a layer of work uh, relative to more evaluation, more recruitment, and then certainly all the work that's been done behind the scenes relative to NIL, right? Coming up with a really good system, one that we can uh, feel good about from an integrity standpoint um, and purpose, right? I think it's always, you got to get back to what college athletics is about, you know, why you got into the profession. Um, but there's no question. I mean, it has been, it's a major issue. I think any college football coach would tell you that. And, and I would tell you, the longer we go, the more it's impacting every sport at the collegiate level. I think one of our philosophies is we build our team inside out, right? So you get a young man who knows the history, he knows the tradition. Um, typically, there's a connection to the University of Florida. Uh, he's got to go back home to his hometown and deal with it, whether it's good or bad. So uh, it's part of our philosophy. I think it's one of the reasons why we signed so many high school kids uh, from Florida this year. Uh, and we'll continue to do that. Okay, so, you know, what, one of the interesting things I think he said there was just that, you know, the, the kids that come to Florida usually have a tie to Florida and they want to be there. And if they leave, they have to go to their hometowns and answer to people who aren't going to be happy that they transferred. So, you know, when it comes to money and, and leaving, I don't know how much that will uh, have to do with it. But, boy, you're right. You know, does Congress get involved? And do we want Congress involved? We see how they handle things. And I'm just not sure if that's the, the group. I think you and I could probably come up with a better solution. What do you think, Kevin? 
Yeah, for sure. But I think Napier took an interesting tact on that in terms of, you know, the hometown element and so forth. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, while NIL is an important factor, and, you know, um, and, you know, in some cases, uh, you know, what we're hearing from coaches may be the most important factor, but it's still not the only factor. And uh, I think there's still uh, a lot of players that probably grow up that were Gator fans during the, you know, kids that were Gator fans during the Tebow era. You still have that window where you can really sell them on, hey, you know, this is you know part of the experience, which is uh, you know certainly to uh, you know to play in the swamp and and to be a part of something that's uh, bigger than yourself and uh, be a part of uh, you know a team that has shown in the past that they can win championships. Um, and I think certainly uh, Florida is, is trying to get back to that, and and they've certainly hit a down cycle, uh, probably in both football and men's basketball. Um, certainly not in baseball. They're off to a you know a really great start there, but. Uh, um, in some of the in in the two major revenue producing sports, uh, there's a lot of work to be done. Yep. Well, I think I could be your campaign manager, Kevin Brockway for Congress. He's trying to chump taxes. No, no, not gonna work. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, right. So. <laughs> well, Kevin. So after the orange and blue game, what type of things are you going to be working on as we head into the summer, leading up to another great season of Florida Gators football? Yeah, you know, um, we're probably going to be, you know, I'm going to be at ICC spring meetings in Destin. So there's going to be a, a lot of news coming out of there with the continued, uh, you know, realignment of, uh, you know, certainly the uh, the divisions and so forth. They're going to one division, how they're going to hash out the football schedules. Um, right now, the reports are that it looks like Florida's three permanent rivals are going to be Oklahoma. South Carolina and Georgia, which will be uh, certainly fascinating. They would play them every year. And then, you know, the SEC would go to a nine-game football schedule and play the other team six times. Um, So Oklahoma would replace uh, LSU as that kind of team out West that Florida would be playing every year, which uh, I think would be, will be fascinating and and interesting. And maybe some fans will, will miss facing LSU every year. I know there were a lot of Florida fans that want to face Auburn every year. Um, And there's been a lot of, um, bickering about you know, Nick Saban has bickered about uh you know his his lot in the schedule but we we all know these things are cyclical right and they can change certainly uh every year um and, you know, it's funny Nick Saban he certainly wasn't crying about uh facing Tennessee every year five or six years ago <laughs> now he is so uh it's certainly kind of funny and I also you know something I, I touched on before I, I'd like to do a big project about um, you know, it's kind of fascinating. This is the first year since 1979 that Florida has had a losing record in both football and men's basketball. And uh, just, you know, maybe a little deeper dive into how we got here um, for a program that, you know, from 2000 to 2014, uh, I think won a combined six or seven SEC championships in both football and men's basketball and hasn't won one since 2014 uh, in either sport. Um, it's certainly interesting and fascinating how, uh, you know, both, you know, programs have kind of slipped a little bit and how they could get back. I think that that's something that, uh, certainly, uh, you know, with, with my knowledge covering the Gators, I kind of take a deeper dive into. Yeah. I think that would be super interesting to read. And, you know, where uh, me being a Gator grad, obviously I try and be a, a journalist who doesn't take sides, but if there is one team that I secretly root for, it's obviously, my my beloved Florida Gators. So I'm hoping to see them get back to prominence. And, uh, you know, uh, Kevin, we, we can, again, we can find all of your work at Gainesville.com and Gatorsports.com. But if people want to find you on social media, where can they do that? Yeah, at Kevin Brockway G1, you can get me there also. 
Alrighty, very good. Well, Kevin, it's been great visiting with you. I appreciate you dropping all your knowledge on us, and I look forward to talking to you again as the season nears. Yes, thank you, Tim. As always, a pleasure. Alrighty, and that's going to do it for this episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters, and to quote the ever-quotable Gators legend Steve Spurrier on age and coaching, the Pope is 77 years old, and he's in charge of a billion people. All I have to do is put 11 on the field. Well, he did that very well, and we hope that maybe Billy Napier as he ages can do the same thing. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time.